Did you ever watch um, Manhunt Unibomb on Netflix? No, no. Well, I know that you're not into like the, all the murdery stuff as much, but so they had that on Netflix and they just came out with a second series and it's so good. I'm like dying. So I've been obsessively watching that and it's too bad a woman didn't commit the crime and that it was a man because <laughs> yeah. I would, because I, I already got the book, like downloaded it on my Kindle. So I'm like reading it and I'm like watching it. Mm. I didn't even know that this happened, that there was a bombing at the Olympics in Atlanta. How did you in not 1996? know <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like they, I don't know. I watched um, Criminal Minds and I feel like they always mention that. <laughs> I apparently have, well, I didn't even know like the Unabomber was a thing until really? I started watching That's interesting. the the first, I maybe I'm like living in a cave or something. <laughs> you have too much but Kimmy not only was there in your mind. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. There's only so much room for like obscure TV show references. Um, but I didn't, what I didn't know either was that they blamed the wrong guy yeah. for the bombing. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I remember that. Or I remember reading about that. I wasn't cognizant. Then. We were two years old. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but like, uh, it's just blowing my mind. So now I'm reading the book and it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, and I see so much has happened since we last checked in. I also read a book. Mm -hmm. I, again, it was crime committed by a man. So uh, <laughs> won't be covering a case on it. But um, it, I think it was called Murder in Wellesley. But um, Wellesley's like right by Boston. It's like one of the mm -hmm. like uh, suburbs near Boston. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get back to Boston because I want to like drive around and <laughs> see everything. Yeah. I um, what what was the murder like? What happened? Um. So it was a doctor mm -hmm. who murdered his wife. They were at nice, a pond, nice. like walking around and it was just like the dumbest this guy was just he's a doctor he was an allergist it was so dumb it was so dumb it was like how did you not think that they weren't gonna catch you um mm -hmm. but yeah it was just it was nuts that was like back in i think it was around like when oj simpson happened because they referenced that case and like i think he almost worked with one of the lawyers from that case mm -hmm. um but yeah, never heard of that either, but yeah. I wasn't aware of Boston, so. <laughs> but apparently it was, like, another one of those, like, everyone was into, like, watching the trials the on TV, yeah. and it was, like, kind of crazy. Are there, what are, like, super high-profile, like, women crimes that you can think of? I know, like, obviously Casey Anthony. I'm, like, struggling to think of other, like, high-profile. Uh, oh, there's the... Jody Arias. She scares me. Yes. <laughs> Wait, who's the the female serial killer? Is that oh, Jodie Arias? No, no, no. Jodie Arias like Isn't killed her, her boyfriend. Name... I know who you're talking about. She like, was executed Eileen. in Florida, right? Yeah, by Jed Bush, not by him, but yeah, oh, he like good old voted Jeb for it. Um, I think I just said Jed instead of Jeb, but honestly, what's the difference? Okay. I don't really care. <laughs> um, I oh, 
This was one. I I read another book. God, I've been like so productive. Um, it's called The Gift of Fear. I mentioned yeah, it last yeah, time. Did. I finished it. Um, but there is a section about stalkers and they were talking about this one lady who shot a baseball player. Not cool. Um I'll cover that one. Yeah. Yeah, it's very uncool. Yeah, we can and do I think there was like another episode woman who like stalked Babe Ruth oh the one um astronaut lady oh who, like wore yeah. a diaper and tried to kill her ex-boyfriend's current partner yeah I I respect the efficiency of wearing a diaper mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for me <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pink Collar Crime, a true crime podcast focusing exclusively on crimes committed by women. I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Each week, we're going to tell you about one or two cases of crimes committed by women and discuss details, motives, similarities, and differences, etc., etc. If you like our show, tell your friends. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you love or don't love about the show. And give us a follow on social media at pinkcollar underscore pod. <laughs> All right. So this week. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this week uh, we so we're taking this week off. But since we record a week in advance or like, I guess we took last week. off. Well, in episode. I'm what do you mean by confused. taking time off? um because we're not dropping an episode tomorrow okay right yeah so while we're recording so the week that we're recording we're taking a time off so this episode will be in the new year i guess i don't know <laughs> yeah so we took i guess it doesn't matter they don't they're not gonna need to know so they're gonna get this episode uh, when it, sorry when guys so I, this week our- you're gonna get it when you get it <laughs> <laughs> I should just leave that part in so they can fully understand how like organized we are. Um, we usually are more you know organized what? than this. Where are we? <laughs> you I mean, maybe. I think. I. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um. Uh, all right. So our topic this week is like. <laughs> we don't even know is it people who kind of give themselves away like they commit a crime and then i don't know internet our crime is internet <laughs> okay yeah we were gonna do like weird crime we were gonna like maybe do a mini episode but we were like you know what like we just should take this week off because we both have like full-time jobs we have holiday you know all that take stuff a break yeah um so you started to do one and you were like hey here's the general idea of what my case was like if you want to find something similar and i don't know if i did i don't know if i yeah we didn't like fully discuss it (laughs) i just told you like my case okay so both of our crimes have something to do with the internet okay yeah so internet i guess so yeah we're doing guys we're doing crimes today Uh, crimes committed by women that's the theme (laughs) we'll figure it out by the end we'll figure out like what word (laughs) yeah we'll figure out the title and (laughs) you know don't worry about it don't think about it too hard yeah it's this is just such a weird time because we're in like that weird holiday limbo Mm -hmm. where it's just like i hate this i'm just like ready for new year's and like not that i think 2021 is 
going to be much different to begin with, but uh, Let's hope. I don't think like all the problems are magically going to go away on New Year's, but mm-hmm. uh, what am I saying? I'm going first, right? I do know that. Yeah, but also comment, review, five-star oh. rating, whatever you can. We will, of course, donate to the National Center for Victims of Crimes. Yeah, guys, get help us get to 20, and then yeah. we'll push it through. Yeah, and um, don't commit crimes. So, yeah, let's get started. <laughs> well, I'm not going to, like, announce the name of who did it, because I don't want to give it away. <laughs> okay. I don't want to give it away yet, but... Um, so we can, I, I want to just like do something special to like help get in the mood for this story, uh, cause it takes place in land far away. Um, so just like close your eyes or choose somewhere to focus in the room. If you don't feel comfortable closing your eyes and take a deep breath in as you're breathing in, you start to notice a smell of fresh maple syrup. And if you listen, you can hear Gary scratching on the door to come in. <laughs> but if you listen a little bit harder, you can hear the calls of the great Canadian moose. <laughs> I was with you. I had my eyes closed and then you did that. It's <laughs> trickery. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna go let Gary in really quick before she, like, destroys the door. I'll be right back. Are you being bad? Yeah, I heard you. I got into, like, my therapist voice for a second there. (laughs) Um, but, okay. So, Eric Abramovitz was an extremely talented clarinetist. Eric loved music practically his whole life. His mom was in a klezmer band, which, like, who knows what that that? is. (laughs) Okay. Um, I think it's some type of, like, quartet type thing. Um, I don't know. She played piano, at least. I know that. Um, and when he was seven years old, he begged his parents to let him take clarinet lessons, which is, like, I feel like an interesting choice. I feel like when I was, like, seven, I wanted to play the guitar, but, you know... I guess clarinet spoke to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could hear Gary crunching. Just ignore that. What um, year? What? What is this? What? When is this happening? How old is this? Man? So this is taking place in like the 2010s. Oh. I'll I'll say the year. Well, he was um, probably inspired to play the clarinet for like because of Squidward. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah! I didn't even I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> is mayonnaise an instrument? What? Um. <laughs> Do you not remember Patrick Starr? I barely watched the show. I just know that Squidward played clarinet. Oh my god! <laughs> SpongeBob is like too. I'm like too into like one of one of my current catchphrases. I feel like all of my because um, I try not to swear that much. Um, so I always say, you know, like how SpongeBob he goes tartar sauce when he like is like, oh shoot. So I say tartar sauce because it's from SpongeBob. <laughs> okay, I that's a not so fun fact. <laughs> anyway, uh, so he 
Eric, he was playing this clarinet. Um, and when he, so he played it for however long, he's playing it through high school. Um, he even started dating a flautist. Isn't that how you pronounce it? Flutist? I have flautist? no idea. <laughs> it's not. I used to be in the band. Uh, I played the tuba. So I feel like I should know this, but I very much was like, I don't want to play the flute because like, that's a girly instrument. And then I was like, I'm going to play the tuba. It weighs just as much as I do. My brother played the flute. He's a boy, so. I know. It's not, no judgment if you play the flute. I think it's cool. Lizzo plays the flute. That's neat. I just was like, well, because like all the girls played the flute and I'm like not like other girls. So when I was in fifth grade, I was like baritone. And then I switched to tuba because they're like almost the same thing anyway um so when he was in high school he started dating a full outist named jennifer lee he had this like huge crush on her and his pickup line like his move was to ask her to join his chamber group you know wink wink like you want to join my my chamber group um okay. he was kind of surprised when she said yes and he had to actually scramble to put a group together because he didn't actually have one um so they were dating um, and they started dating through college. They both were, I believe they were both going to McGill University, but it's possible she was going to a school nearby. But in 2013, he was studying at McGill University, a public research university in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. McGill's a really good school. Um, its notable alumni include Justin, Justin Trudeau, the current prime minister of Canada, and William Shatner, best known for his portrayal of Captain James T. Kirk in Star Trek. And also those commercials. Never seen. With Kaylee Cuoco. <laughs> they are, isn't it for like a credit card or like a travel <laughs> company? I think it's Priceline. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, He went to that school though, so who knows. Um, Eric had applied for an extremely prestigious scholarship for the Colburn Conservatory of Music in Los Angeles. So the Colburn Conservatory is a really big deal. It's located right downtown near the Museum of Contemporary Art, and it's across the street from Walt Disney Concert Hall. The benefactor of the school, Richard D. Colburn, wanted young people to have access to a really good education, regardless of you know their social standing or their economic class. Um, the acceptance rates of the school are really low. They only accept about 5% of their applicants. Um, so Eric had applied for the extremely competitive two-year scholarship. Not only would he have the opportunity to study under Yehuda Gilad, who is one of the best clarinet teachers in the world, his tuition would be totally covered. The scholarship would be the equivalent of about $50,000 a year, and it also included tuition, room and board, along with other expenses. So not only would it be like the best opportunity that he could possibly get, it would be completely free to him. Um, Eric began working towards his goal of becoming a world-class musician since he first started playing and his goal was finally within reach. Yehuda accepted two students each year and I believe the year that Eric was applying, he was only accepting one. Um, And the students he selected were almost guaranteed a high-paying symphony job once they graduated. So Eric completed the extensive screening process and was ecstatic when he was invited to audition for Yehuda Gilad himself. So he was practicing 
like for hours each day, just doing the same scales over and over and over. And when the time came, Eric flew to LA with Jen and his mother, who would be accompanying him on the piano while he auditioned. Uh, The audition itself took about 15 minutes, which is like crazy. That's such a pivotal moment of your life. Only lasted like 15 minutes. But after the audition, Eric had a pretty good feeling that he had been accepted. He even ended up getting a call from Yehuda saying like, oh, hey, how's it going? Just wanted to check in. And before he hung up, he said, all the best. See you soon. So he didn't explicitly say like, you've got it. But Eric was like, that's got to be like weird if he's like, see you soon. That's like he was confident from that exchange of it. Yes, yeah. it's um like uh when I was in a sorority in college, through Rush, they had like what was called dirty rushing. So like you weren't allowed to say like, oh, see you tomorrow or like you weren't allowed to like say anything that might give the impression that you got it, you know, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So it was like a bit of dirty rushing there because if he got it or if he didn't get it and the guy called him and said, see you soon, that'd be really crappy. But but. Uh, so, like, it wasn't explicit mm-hmm. enough, this Yehuda guy, like, saying that, um, that Eric was like, oh, yeah, it's in the bag. So, he was like, I, I have a really good feeling, but I'm still, you know, not, not going crazy. I'll wait till, till I get the, the letter and we'll see. So, um, yeah, and he wasn't sure if Yehuda had called, like, everyone who auditioned and to check in, see how they were doing. Um, It was a good sign, nonetheless. So a few weeks after the audition, Eric checked his email and there was a response from gilahuda09 at gmail.com. Eric had been accepted to the University of Southern California. So he didn't get into... I think the conservatory is associated with USC in some way. Um, But the scholarship was only for $5,000 a year. Eric was crushed. Tuition alone was like $51,000 a year, not to mention paying for living expenses in LA where the average rent for an apartment is like $2,000 a month, which makes me feel better about the rent that I'm paying, <laughs> but not that much better. Um, so there was no way that Eric could afford to go. So he replied to the email, turning down the offer. He said, I was numb when I read the email. I had to read it a few more times when I found out I didn't get it. It was really hard to deal with, and I went through some really dark days. So Eric stayed at McGill and finished his degree. Even without Yehuda Gilad's training, Eric was still an elite musician. He had won plenty of awards and performed solos in Canada's top sympathy sympathies, symphonies. <laughs> um, but things had changed. Six months after getting the rejection, Eric and Jen, who was living with him at the time, broke up after about a year of dating. Things were just too intense for the couple, and their relationship was no longer working. Uh, They did live together a little while longer after breaking up, which Eric said he did not recommend. Which, like, obviously, but who knows if you sign a lease together, if you don't have anywhere else to go. Um, But Eric was still committed to studying under Yehuda even after his devastating rejection. He planned to audition for a place at USC where Yehuda taught. Once again, he would have to audition in front of Yehuda, and this time he was going to give it all he had. When he entered the audition room, Eric could feel the tension in the air. 
had Yehuda remembered his previous audition? And would he be able to impress him this time around? Just a lot going on there. But after his audition was over, Eric and Yehuda went into a room to talk. Yehuda had a really confused look on his face, and he finally broke the silence, saying, You rejected me. Why are you here? Eric was speechless. He was like, no, you rejected me. And then Yehuda was like, no, you did. And then Eric was like, no, you did. And then they went back and forth for a little while. And Eric was like, okay, he must be like confusing me with someone else. And he didn't want to make the situation any more awkward than it already was. So he just kind of backed down and didn't say anything after that. So Yehuda offered him a position in the USC's certificate program where he would have the opportunity to study under Yehuda. So it wasn't the same exact opportunity he had before. It wasn't, you know, worth as much money. He wouldn't have as much time with Yehuda, but I guess it was the second best thing. Um, So Eric couldn't shake the feeling that something was off. Why did Yehuda think he turned down the scholarship? But he was like, you know what, I'm just going to not think about it. I'm going to focus on doing the best I can for this program. But a few months later, Eric was approached by a former student of Yehuda. And they were like, hey, how's it going? So why didn't you go to the Colburn program when you had the chance? And Eric was like, what the heck? Why does everyone think I got into this program? There has to be something going on. Mm -hmm. So he went home and he pulled up his email He found the rejection email and forwarded it to Yehuda saying, like, see, you rejected me. Um, I remember this case suddenly. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Go. (laughs) Um, It's been covered on a lot of podcasts. So I don't know if you've... He, like, really did the press rounds after this. But so... So Yehuda then forwarded the acceptance email to Eric including a response from Eric's email account. It said, thank you for the offer, but I will be elsewhere, so I cannot accept. You also can't contact me because my phone's broken. (laughs) Which is like, (laughs) it was what, 2013? Like, oh, you can't call me because my phone's broken. I feel like your phone can't be broken for much longer than a few days before you have to figure that out because who knows? Anyway. But that at least explained why there was, like, never a follow-up call. So whoever did this was really sneaky about it. At first, Eric was happy because he had been accepted after all. But that happiness quickly turned to anger. Who had tried to sabotage his chance at working with his idol? He thought the only explanation was one of the other clarinet players that he knew. So the classical music scene is pretty small and pretty tight-knit. Um, It's kind of like a weird relationship because you're all auditioning for the same parts and there's not that many parts to go around, but you get to know each other really well Mm -hmm. um, and like understand the process and and whatnot. So maybe one of them was really tech savvy and had like hacked his computer or who knows. Um, When he ran this theory by his friends, they were like, nah, dude, it was totally Jen. And Eric's initial reaction was shock. Like there was no way Jen could have done this to him. I, like, somewhere I read, he was like, it would be like if my mom did that. Like, I would have never expected it from her. Um, Even though they broke up, it it looks like they were still, you know, on moderately good terms. Um, And Jen had encouraged him to apply in the first place and was really supportive to him throughout the entire process. 
and even consoled him when he was rejected. But he figured if Jun had done it, he would be able to figure it out by doing some amateur detective work. So one night, one of Eric's friends came over, and they pulled up the fake Yehuda email on his laptop. Eric figured if Jen had done it, she probably used the same password she used for all of her other accounts. And they were, like, dumb teenagers. I guess they were maybe in their 20s at that point, but they, like, knew the passwords to their accounts. Um, But there was one problem. Eric forgot what the password was. Um, But he did remember that she often logged into her Facebook account on his laptop. And um, so when he would try to go into Facebook, it would automatically like populate with her information, Mm. including her password. So him and his friend did some reverse engineering and they like opened the code in the computer and changed it so that you could see the text or like, I don't know, some computer stuff. But they were able to get the password, and they took that and plugged it into the Yehuda email, and it worked. Since the account hadn't been accessed in a while, they were prompted to update the recovery information, and the phone number and email associated with the account were Jen's. So that was it. Jen totally did it. Bad, Jen. Bad. Isn't that crazy? Can you... Can you imagine? Too much effort. (laughs) I will say, briefly though, like not to to victim blame, but don't trust emails that you get from a Gmail account. To me, it's like, why why weren't you suspicious that it was coming from a Gmail and not like at colburn.edu? I agree. So Eric took screenshots and he changed the password to the account so that he would have access to it. Um, so he wanted to make sure that Jen couldn't just go back and, like, delete all the evidence, which is smart. Um, so I think most people's first reaction would be to, like, freak out and, like, start screaming and, like, call Jen and be like, what the heck did you do? But Eric had another idea. He was going to sue her. So he hired a lawyer named Marshall Reinhardt. Eric didn't want Jen to get arrested over this, but he wanted to be compensated for the loss of this opportunity. And it's often challenging to sue for compensation, um, you know, after relationships end. Um, but Eric had some concrete numbers. So he was paying tuition for his last two years at Gil- McGill. And he also probably missed out on some career opportunities. So him and his lawyer worked together to figure out, you know, a number that they could say that he could get compensated for. So Jen, meanwhile, was denying, denying, denying. And she eventually blocked him on social media, and they were only speaking through their lawyers at this point. So there was a trial, and Jen didn't show up, you know, didn't acknowledge that it was happening. But the Ontario Supreme Court judge sided with Eric. In the end, Jen would be required to pay Eric $300,000 in general damages. That's in Canadian dollars, but I don't know the conversion. Oh my god, I went to Canada once. Did you know that they like their dollars are called loonies and then they have like a two dollar <laughs> coin that's called a toonie? I think that's like adorable. Oh my god, Canada was so fun. I I want to go. I, I want to go back really bad once Corona's over. Back in. <laughs> you know what? And I don't blame them, but it was because so- well, we went there. I don't know. We must have been like middle school, early high school. But, like, all the Canadians thought that we had accents. And they were like, oh, my goodness, your accents are so cute. And we were like, what are you talking about? 
yeah i think my chicago accent back then was like a lot more thick um especially yeah like so that's probably why they thought we sounded funny um now i keep losing my spot um so lots of money lots of canadian loonies three hundred thousand of them to be exact uh and this included the loss of reputation the loss of educational opportunity and the loss of two years of potential income and the judge also tacked on another fifty thousand canadian dollars which if you want to do math in your head really quick you can um which was essentially just like a punishment for Jen and her, quote, despicable interference with Mr. Abramovitz's career. Which, gosh, 50000 even in Canadian dollars, that's like <laughs> yeah. not enough. This is just nuts. Um, so Jen, like I said, was ignoring the emails, ignoring all the calls. She was refusing to acknowledge that there was a lawsuit or trial. Um, so in order for Eric to get her to be on the hook for for the money they had to find a way to serve jen the papers so and this is like maybe we should have done this last week because it's like christmas themed they found out she was playing in a christmas concert at her the university she was attending in toronto so eric his lawyer and his lawyer's wife all went to the show and they had uh the lawyer's wife come along to actually serve the paper since they were afraid that jen might recognize marshall from the tv interviews so they sat through the first half of the concert and they found jen on stage and uh the only issue though was the stage was about four feet off the ground so there was no way that marshall's wife would be able to climb it and like drop off the papers without drawing a bunch of attention so since it was intermission it was halftime of the concert uh, it was, you know, going to be over, so they had to think fast. So they spotted a door on the side of the stage, and Marshall's wife ran up and found the conductor. And she asked if they would introduce her to Jen, and they handed her a package saying, you know, this is for the end of the show. I don't know if they, like, made it look like a present or if she said something in the conversation to make it not seem totally weird that some random lady was just handing her a package because to me i'd be like oh that's a bomb like maybe just because i've been watching that bomb tv show but that's (laughs) yeah like crazy to me i would be very suspicious but maybe she was like oh i'm a huge fan here's a gift i don't know um but they were at the very least like trying not to totally spoil the concert which i guess was like nice of them because they could have just been like open this now and be like you're served haha And then she would have had to play the rest of the show. So they were nice. They were nice about it. Um, She was served and Eric was ready to start receiving his compensation. But so far he hasn't seen a single dime. Jen didn't have any assets to seize. She didn't have a house, didn't have a car, you know, nothing worth money. Um, And so even though he is like legally allowed to garnish 20% of her wages, Jen and I think this was like last year or the year before, she was still a student. So she wasn't officially making any money. So there was nothing they could take. Um, And so it was said, you know, it's probably not likely that she's going to try to make money. (laughs) So she never has to Because, yeah, they're just going to take it all from her. So I don't know, maybe she'll just be in school forever or something. Um, But despite this frustration, Eric is doing pretty okay. He is in a new... in a new relationship 
and he says it's going awesome and he also auditioned for the toronto symphony orchestra so like 100 people from all around the world were auditioning for this spot and it came down to two people um eric and someone else and eric got the position and he would be eligible for tenure at the age of 25. i think the article i read that was from last year so it's possible that he's tenured which is crazy because usually you have to wait like a really long time for someone to retire or pass away in order to get a tenured spot so be an amazing opportunity if if he were able to get it and i think that after everything he's been through he absolutely deserves it so that is the case of jennifer Jennifer. lee come on like why (laughs) isn't that so ridiculous i would be so livid and i i also feel like in this case the government should make her take a loan from the government (laughs) <laughs> and pay him with that and pay and him back to pay the government monthly like on that loan i that's how annoyed i am at this case <laughs> like, yeah i mean yeah i i think he could have you know s- sleuthed i don't know if that's the word i'm looking for a little bit with the email that he got but at the same time like why would you do that to someone like, come on. So, all right, guys. It's Natalie. How's it going? <laughs> um, so, I will get started on my case. Um, so, on November 28th, 2012, a woman entered the Cornerstone Bank in Waco, Nebraska. She handed a teller a, a pillowcase and a note that read, You are being robbed exclamation point no alarms or locks or phones or ink bags exclamation point i have a gut i have a loaded gun period i find it interesting that she did not say i have a loaded gun with the same amount of enthusiasm as you are being robbed but you would think that would be like a two exclamation mm-hmm. point maybe like even a, an underline exactly gun. Um, and then the last line said you have two minutes period so again i'm confused about her use of periods and exclamation points but whatever uh the teller compiled so no the teller complied and the bank robber got away in a pontiac grand am with a pillowcase filled with six thousand two hundred and fifty six dollars so she she actually brought a pillowcase yeah so that doesn't like get a bag with handles (laughs) come on i you know i I have a feeling she was what are watching you, a child trick-or-treating? Uh, kind of. <laughs> um, uh, I also, it, she, it's not like she got away with a lot of money. Like, yeah, $6,000 is a lot, but considering, like, the heist that we've seen. Also, it is not worth it to rob a bank. Just also, don't do it. random, have you seen Money Heist on Netflix? No. Okay. Well, that's Oh, is like, that the one with um, Anne Hathaway? And- no, it's a show. Um, and it's like just about a money heist. And I think for the entire duration of the show, they are committing this heist in a bank or whatever it is that they're that at. Sounds good. So it's interesting. I like the... It's in another language. Oh. I just use this. I just, I just do a dub. I'm not a subtitle um, And it's fine for me. Oh, a dub. You can do a dub. Okay. I, I definitely recommend a uh, money heist to anyone who has not watched. Um, cool. So go moving on. <laughs> so, 
pillowcase. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So she got away with $6,256. That same day, a seven minute video was uploaded to YouTube by a user called Jelly Beanie. The video was titled, quote, Chick Bank Robber. It was one of those videos where the person doesn't speak, but just holds up a series of written messages to tell you whatever they're trying to tell you. Um, And usually it has music playing in the background. I don't think those videos are very popular anymore, but I do remember like during that time period, there would be like tons of like videos like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, usually it'd be like, like confession videos kind, kind of, of right yeah. of like oh here's my depressing yeah. story or sometimes people do like a parody of it but like i woke up on saturday and it was the saddest day of my life we were out of chicken nugget like it's just like really random but that is yeah sad. um <laughs> uh so in this video um in this video the chick bank rock Robert chose to overlay her important message with two angsty Green Day songs, Warning and Minority. Just felt like I needed to um, include that in there. Um, in the video, the chick bank robber shared the following messages. And so I'm going to clean up some of the language that she used. But thank you. <laughs> first, um, I stole from a car a full bowl of weed in an ICP pipe. Don't know what an ICP pipe is. Insane clown posse. (laughs) Maybe actually. Um, And like an ounce of weed and a couple pre-rolled joints. The other one had already been smoked. Next message. Then I stole a car! Exclamation point. At this point, she holds up the keys. It is shiny. All caps. Shiny! Exclamation point. Exclamation point. (laughs) Next message. Wait. A-holes. The next message, the shiny new car is a Pontiac Grand Am. Of course, I already took the license plates off and threw them out. Next. Then I robbed. What about the pin number? <laughs> yeah. um, the, the VIN? What is it called for a car? The VIN, right? Oh, sure. <laughs> we know nothing. What? Oh my God. What show is it that I would, oh, it's Shit's Creek that we were just watching when he when they're at the bank and David's like, oh, the pin, pin number. Oh, yeah. And they're like, you don't have to say number. It's oh, the redundant. pin, yes. Um, and then, yeah, I remember that. Good episode. Um, I just bought a Shit's Creek calendar and it's like so great. I'm, I'm so excited. Anyway. I've got everyone in this house watching it now. So. It's so good. Um, it's awesome. Um, anyway, so next message was, then I robbed a bank exclamation point exclamation point with a gun a pillowcase and a note six thousand two hundred and fifty six dollars i told my mom today was the best day of my life smiley face she thinks i just met a boy (laughs) next message why because you see i am a victim of the government next message how for one the whole system is a game next message where's my pen omg she is literally writing with her pet. <laughs> so yeah, okay. I think she might have smoked some of that weed. It's possible. Yes. Um, and then or she's trying to be funny and doing a bad job. <laughs> and then the next message was, but more specifically, because the government stole my baby and they took him away before I, I could even take him home, and they charged me with neglect. I may not be a mother anymore, but I can still find a purpose. Smiley face. So 
So it's kind of sad there, oh. right? Like, it's like, what's going on? And then, like, it gets a Do little Do you have more heavy. information about that? Yes, or? I will get to that. Okay. <clears throat> so, in the video, she even holds and fans herself with the money that she stole. In the text description of the video, it read, I just stole a car and robbed a bank. Now I'm rich. I can pay off my college financial aid. And tomorrow, I'm going for a shopping spree. Bite me. I love Green Day. Uh, and oh my god six thousand dollars wouldn't do anything for my college situation like a drop in the bucket and for what it's worth the gun that she used was not real um but it was convincing enough for the teller to feel like she needed that she was in danger and needed to comply um so however damning the police didn't immediately come across the video as they never suspected a criminal to be so thoughtless as to detail their crime in a video on al gore's internet it wasn't until the york county sheriff dale radcliffe received a phone call from his doctor who alerted him to the video then other calls came pouring into the local police station about the self-proclaimed chick bank robber Not only did the chick bank robber offer them a full confession and her face in the video, she was still wearing the exact same clothing that she had worn in the bank robbery hours earlier. So, oh, my goodness. Yeah. And so the only problem was that outside of the Archie comic series and like Riverdale, Jellybean is not a real name. And so officers had no immediate information to identify um to identify her her name or like the location of the chick bank robber and that is until her ex-husband got in contact with the police her name was hannah sabata and unsurprisingly based off of her reckless use of the internet she was only 19 years old uh, he identified he notified them that he received a text message from Hannah in which she bragged that she had, quote, a pile of money after robbing a bank. And she also asked him if he wanted to go get a tattoo together. <laughs> so priorities. What is she going to get a tattoo that's like chick bank robber with like a picture of a chick? Perhaps. Um, so some backstory on Hannah. She had a public blog where she shared basically whatever she felt like. Um, I think a lot of us back in the day would just kind of put whatever we wanted on the internet, um, whether that was like a Tumblr or Facebook or Twitter. We would just kind of share our thoughts. Um, oh, my God. The thing, the like little Facebook reminders that I get. Well, my friends and I would like post things, but we would like post things in our own like little code or we would say like very obscure like inside jokes mm-hmm. that like don't make any sense. Yeah. So I like read back through these things and I'm like, oh my God. I like, got to the point where what? I had to like delete that. Like it, the embarrassment that I felt, I was just like, delete, delete, delete. I cannot. Oh, um, anyway, so. In a post titled 10 Things About Me that she wrote in 2010, so two years before this crime, she wrote that she had HIV, major depression, a boyfriend who was 11 years older than her, an ankle monitoring device, and a weird obsession with LSD and hallucinations. That is her word. I'm not describing her obsession as weird. Um, She also wrote that she was highly philosophical. She underwent severe behavior treatment, and she also dreamed of becoming a lawyer one day. In February of 2011, she posted a picture of her pregnant with, so like a baby bump picture, mm-hmm. and she wrote an excited post about her unborn baby. In September of 2011, she lost custody of her son. 
the information that I could find about the affidavit doesn't fully detail why she lost custody, but um, I did find some information from it that described Hannah as having been hospitalized multiple times for mental health issues and diagnosed with schizophrenia, depression, anxiety, mm. borderline personality disorder. And um, but I think the most damning thing, so the thing that um, from just what I'm piecing together, probably is why she lost custody of her son, is that as she disclosed, um, she had she has HIV and so nowadays, just because the mother has HIV does not mean the child um, will automatically be born with HIV. Instead, there are medications that the mother can take to suppress that, um, to, to suppress like the transmission of uh, HIV to their baby. And so Hannah willfully refused to take that medication while she was pregnant. Oh. Um, and so unfortunately, her baby was born with HIV. And so I think oh, no. all of those things compounded is why, as she said, she wasn't even allowed to take the baby home from the hospital. Um, so all of those things and including including like her legal issues and all of that probably is what the state or Child Protective Services or whoever kind of deemed like neglect um Mm -hmm. or maybe that she at this present moment possibly wasn't fit to take in take a newborn home with her right i mean it sounds like she was having a a hard time Mm -hmm. like doing her own care yeah um and so when i found this case at first my first thought was what a dummy like why would you commit a crime post it on you like youtube and you know, it, it just seemed mm-hmm. like cut and dry. This person like was not the smartest criminal. Um, but reading more into her case and more about Hannah, it's clear to me that it's not like as simple as like me thinking that what she did was dumb. Um, mm-hmm. As I read, I like was able to find like some of her blog posts. I also was able to watch the um, like her confession, her chick bank robber video. Um, mm-hmm. and so I watched all of that. And... So the more that I kind of went through that, she also like really highlighted a lot of her mental health experiences. So she had been like in and out of like mental health treatment centers, kicked out of like home, ran away, like all of these different things. Um, um, She also uh, described like uh, sexual assault, uh, physical abuse that she experienced, overdosing on drugs. So it Mm -hmm. just sounds like she personally just had so much going on and so to me a lot of these posts came across as like a cry for help like she's Mm -hmm. detailing all of these details of all of you know these not so great experiences that she had and I think it was one way of her expressing herself but also like you know Mm -hmm. I, I need help or something you know um And so I'm inclined to think that however, like, stupid the crime and, like, what she did afterwards, I think Hannah's decision to rob that bank and to post a video about it was also, like, a cry for help in a way, Um, Mm -hmm. whether she knew it or not. I think that's kind of what was happening. So um, back to the crime. The police, um, after her her ex-husband called, um, the police pulled up to Hannah's parents' house where she was still wearing the same clothes from the robbery um, and from the video, and they arrested her. She reportedly said, I don't know what's going on, as the sheriff led her to his car. 
And she resisted um, at some points um, when he was transporting her to the car from the house. But ultimately, she got in the car. Um, Police were only able to recover $30 of the $6,000. So it's very like within a very short amount of time, that money kind of disappeared. Mm. And um, in the end, she was charged with robbery, which is a class two felony and theft of a motor vehicle, which is a class three felony. And so if convicted, these charges held a maximum possible sentence of 70 years in prison. She ultimately was convicted of her crimes and sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison in 2013. And so unfortunately, while she was in prison, she assaulted a correctional officer and got an additional one to two years added to her sentence. So that changed her sentence from a possible 10 to 20 to 11 to 22 years. Um, And it's possible that she could be released as early as July 2025. Um, But like, I do think um, judgments and being released from prison are not usually in favor of people who commit more crimes while they're in jail. So I don't Mm -hmm. know if 2025 is as realistic right now, but um, yeah, that is the case of Hannah Sabata. Yeah, that's uh, at face value. You know, you kind of laugh at it or think it's just so ridiculous. But yeah, it's clear that she had a lot going on. And it's unfortunate that something couldn't have been done sooner. Mm -hmm. But I understand the mistrust of authority in her case, where it's clearly the system was not in her favor for such a long time so you know if you already are having some delusions about you know authority figures or the government that that just doesn't help um and yeah that's such a traumatic which sounds like she's had a lot of trauma and the trauma of your child being taken away from you um you know, even if you're not providing them the best care, that doesn't make it any easier on you to to go through that situation. And it just sounds really unfortunate. And yeah, it's it's a shame that she couldn't get the the care she needed sooner. Yeah, it also sounds like that she did have a lot of intervention as a teenager. Um, and so I think she went to something called Boys Town, which I guess is a um, probably similar to where you did your, was it practicum? Um, My internship. Your internship. Um, And so I, I think that that pop, I don't necessarily think that that approach is always the best for every like case. And I think Mm -hmm. that like probably whatever else was going on in her life, kind of going to that type of intensive mental health treatment center, um, and like having to stay there kind of just compounded everything else that she was experiencing and it wasn't the right treatment for her um which i think just helped to contribute to like more i think it traumatized her i guess um yeah it's also i was thinking about this the other day the concept of counseling being a punishment for someone versus something that they get to choose and seek out i know with um you know, a lot of cases, especially, um, you know, with people in the atmosphere of, like, working with, like, DHS or, um, you know, Child Protective Services, whatever it's called in your area, is that 
counseling is a punishment Mm -hmm. and it's if it's not something that you're choosing yourself of course you might enter it being very apprehensive or it just could seem unfair and I think that you know it's great to offer counseling but if someone's forced to do it then it's just not it's not the same as it being your choice and you seeking that out on your own so it's understandable why you know people who have had those experiences might be untrusting of counselors or might not seek out that on their own um so yeah especially as like a kid i think it's just it's not good for I mean, it's it's the best we have right now with the funding mm-hmm. that's out there and with, um, you know, just the way things are. There's not, you know, a bunch of... I think that in a perfect world that a child would stay within their family and, like, have, like, a live-in caretaker come and, like... Or, or a live-in therapist to help, like, repair the relationship and, um, mm-hmm. you know, really... In those types of places, there's high turnaround. They are not, you know, well... the The staff is people who are essentially like in most cases you just need like a high school degree or a college degree doesn't have to be anything related to psychology and not to like talk smack on the workers but it's I think a lot of people enter in with a lot of passion and wanting to help others but it's just such there's a lot of burnout in those positions and it's not an easy job to do especially you know considering too that how low the pay is that it's just it's really hard yeah um and you know it's just it's just not a perfect solution like i said it's it's like the best that we have for now especially you know if your child is a harm to you or if you're a harm to your child it kind of allows for a little bit of a separation there but Mm um it like i just wish that there was like a different option yeah i agree and then like just thinking i think what was it that it said she had schizophrenia borderline personality disorder um anxiety Mm -hmm. like all of these different things and then in my opinion very clear trauma like that poly victimization i think it already makes like the treatment even harder harder and then being like a teenager with like hormones and like trying to figure out who you are and like fit into your own body like there's so much like going on and so I I feel for people who struggle um in that regard and it does suck that there wasn't enough or the correct type of early intervention for her to Mm -hmm. help her um kind of not get into the situation that she's in um obviously at the end of the day it was a choice that she made but um jeez (laughs) that was cute (laughs) thanks um but yeah so um i feel for you hannah um it's a bummer yeah i wish and also in a perfect world i wish that going to prison that people could be in a better off place than when they entered because clearly what was going on for them before wasn't working too great for them um and i think that it's just horrible that you know, we release people into the world Mm -hmm. and they don't have any money and they aren't able to get a job and all these things. So I just feel like this is a complaint sash about. (laughs) 
Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741-741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.